prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Jesse Plemons on his new film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and his comfort movie, Lonesome Dove. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. You guys know I'm always thrilled when I can bring on a new guest, especially somebody that I've had my sights on for quite a while. If you know, you know. If you appreciate good acting, you know you're not surprised that Jesse Plemons has been on my radar for quite a while. He is um, something of a chameleon, something of an enigma to me because he... um, he he always pops up in the unlikeliest of places, whether it's um, the new Charlie Kaufman film in, in a leading performance or in a small part in the new Scorsese film in The Irishman. He um, has really been mixing it up with some amazing, amazing filmmakers, an array of different kinds of projects on television and in film in the last few years, um, ever since I think most of us first saw him in Friday Night Lights, of course. And and and. For that and many reasons, I've wanted to talk to him for a while. I mean, I have talked to him a bit over the years, but never for an extended period of time. I know he's he's a bit press shy, doesn't like to do interviews too much, so I was thrilled that he finally um, came on the podcast for the purposes of talking about the new Charlie Kaufman film on Netflix, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, but also to talk about his comfort movie, which is a doozy. It's a whopper of a movie. It, it Also, is it a movie? It's a miniseries, to be specific. This is the classic television miniseries, Lonesome Dove. That is the assignment that Jesse gave me, as I told him, with 24 hours notice. I had never seen Lonesome Dove, so suddenly your guy Josh had to spend six and a half hours of uh, the day before <laughs> talking to Jesse watching Lonesome Dove, which I'm not going to complain. I'm not digging ditches here. I'm not working in a coal mine. I'm not a first responder. I'm just sitting on my ass watching a movie or TV show, so you don't have to cry for me. But still, that's a lot of cramming. That's a lot of, that's a lot of TV. Um, thankfully, Lonesome Dove uh, is a classic, and it's been on my radar again for, for many, many years. It's considered one of the best pieces of television in the last, you know, at perhaps ever in the last few decades, certainly. Um, it tells the story of, of two um, aging cowboys played by Robert Duvall and um, Tommy Lee Jones, who we just spoke about on the podcast recently for The Fugitive as well. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's a special piece of work, and I, I can understand why he, he decided to choose this as his comfort movie. And it, it clearly, from, judging from the conversation, you can see that it is one that he's returned to and has meant a lot to him throughout the years. So good pick by Jesse. I'm glad it gave me an excuse to finally watch Lonesome Dove, and I'm glad that this whole endeavor, this whole new, new Charlie Kaufman film, gave an excuse for me to talk to Jesse at length for the podcast. Um, the new film is, I'm thinking of ending things, it is written in directed by the great uh, Charlie Kaufman, who is a filmmaker like no other. Um, it is a, it's another challenging, odd piece of work. You know, if you've seen the collaborations with Spike Jones, uh, you know, being John Malkovich, um, uh, Adaptation, um, Synecdoche, New York, which was directed by Charlie, you know that, um, that, that he's a inventive and challenging writer and this is a this 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 film fits both uh, of those adjectives it also stars the great uh, Jesse Buckley uh, David Thewlis 
um, Tony Collette. So a lot of great actors on hand supporting Charlie's new work. You can watch it on Netflix um, right now. Other things to mention, Stir Crazy, my series on Comedy Central, continues with a really fun episode this week. Got a chance to catch up with Rain Wilson, um, who was fantastic. I always love talking to Rain. You know him, of course, from The Office, but he's up to a lot of different things. He's in the new Amazon series, Utopia. He's also got a really uh, a worthy um, pursuit for him, and I think for all of us. You can watch on YouTube his new series, An Idiot's Guide to Climate Change. It's all up there right now. It's a few episodes. They're all pretty short. Um, they are fun and informative, and what more can you ask? And it's, a, and it's obviously about one of the most, if not the most important um, issues of our time, climate change. So I highly recommend you check that out. And maybe when you're done checking out Rain's show on YouTube, you can check out our episode of Stir Crazy, which was awesome. I got a tour of his pig farm, guys. This is an exclusive. This is a Josh Horowitz Stir Crazy exclusive. Eat your heart out, 2020, 60 minutes. Did you get to see Rain Wilson's pig farm? I think not. Um, so yeah, so that's what's going on. Uh, other things to mention, uh, Bill and Ted is out there. Everybody seems to be digging that. I certainly did. You can catch my interview with Keanu and Alex Winter on MTV News' YouTube and social pages. Um, that was a fun respite from the madness that is our world right now. People are starting to see Tenet. I have not seen Tenet. I'm in New York. We can't. I can't even see it if I chose to. I don't know if I would choose to. I'm dying to see Tenet. I'm dying to see a movie. Am I dying to be in a movie theater right now? That's a longer conversation, guys. I'm sure it's a conversation that I will have more on this podcast as uh, as the months continue and as theaters open up where I actually am and, and when I actually have to confront that decision for real. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I, uh, I have very, very mixed feelings about it. Um, but anyway, I'm excited that Tenet is actually is out in the world. I'm glad that people are seeing it. I hope they're seeing it safely. And, um, you know, by all counts, it sounds like another challenging um, but ambitious, to say the least, film from the great Christopher Nolan. Um, so hopefully one of these days I'll be able to see it as it was intended on the big screen. And most importantly, hopefully I'll be able to see it safely. Um, anyway, that's what's going on in my world. Hope you guys are staying safe and well, and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with, uh, the wonderful Jesse Plemons. Again, his new film is on Netflix right now. I'm thinking of ending things. And as always, please let your friends and family know about the podcast. Spread the good word. Happy, sad, confused. Give us a good rating. And, uh, in return for that, I give you this conversation with Jesse Plemons. Uh, well, Jesse Plemons, sir, you have been on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast list, the secret must-book actor podcast list for some time. It only took a pandemic and a Charlie Kaufman movie for this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this, man. Of course, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think as Penance, you you chose, we're going to get into the comfort movie in a little bit, but as Penance, as, as punishment for me, I love the movie you selected but it, it, it was a six and a half hour thing I'd never seen until the last oh, round. That makes me so happy. <laughs> for the first time. Yeah, I binged. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a little bit though. But first of all, just get, give me a sense. Um, you know, we were talking about the silly kind of like, how you doing question in this crazy time. But, but at least tell me this, where, where are you? Are you in LA? Are you in Texas? Where, what's going on with you? In LA. I'm in LA. We, I don't know when I'll get back to Texas. Just I don't know when it'll be safe to fly again. Um, but happy to be here. My my family, 
drove out, I guess, three weeks ago or so from LA straight through, got tested when they arrived. We all got tested, and so we took like a week-long COVID vacation, it felt like, <laughs> and uh, got to see each other in a semi-normal way, and they got to see our two-year-old and everything. Insanity. Were you, were you working at the time? Were you, I know Kirsten's in the Jane Campion movie. I don't know. Are you in that one as well? I am. Yeah. We, which again, just so, so lucky that that's the way that happened. It would have been, it would have been terrible to, to have been, to have been apart during all that. Um, right. Yeah. We were, we were both on that and we had our, our son there and, um, we were we were a good month behind everything in the states over there, and it never got close to the chaos that that is the United States. Uh, but we stayed for about an extra month after after uh, we shut down the production just because it felt unsafe to fly. Then we flew home. Right. We thought surely it'll be a while before production is up and running again. It was only like five weeks until we were heading back to New Zealand to quarantine for a few weeks in a hotel, then finish. Yeah, our son was the trooper of all troopers. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you can only imagine. I mean, your, your son's young enough that obviously this won't be a memory, but like I have nieces and nephews where like this will be the, the year of, uh, of COVID in their eight or nine-year-old lives that will be just a part of them. It's crazy. I've been thinking about that quite a bit, just how grateful I am not to have to attempt to explain this to the kid. And I mean, to see people that usually run up and, and hug you, and now you're only seeing their eyes, it's heartbreaking. It is. It is. It's, uh, we, yeah, we we're all scarred in different ways coming out of this, and hopefully we'll come out of this relatively relatively soon. Um, are you in LA or? I'm in New York, actually. I'm a born and bred New Yorker and I was, so, you know, thankfully we're, um, we're okay now, but we, we were kind of ahead of the curve in the horrible way. And, uh, March and April was pretty intense here, man. It was insane. Yeah. I've got a few friends that live there talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a couple blocks from the park and it's like when you have like, you know, people I mean I mean not to get morbid but like you know people like loading up bodies and in, in the in, yeah. in, it, it, it's crazy it, it was crazy the uh, repercussions of this will be um part of us for for some time um yeah. I, this, discussing some lighter things like entertainment and um and filmmakers um you know I mentioned Jane Campion partially just interested in what you were up to but also because it it, it it proves my my general thesis about you, which is you you either have exceptional taste in filmmakers or filmmakers have exceptional taste in you because in a, in a relatively young career you 've got a lot a long road to go you 've kind of accumulated directors like baseball cards like you 've got like the great roster of filmmakers um, happenstance or are you running through this uh, your own secret list of filmmakers you want to work with happens. it's just I sit around and i 'm like you know what? Yeah, I think it's time. I think I'm going to go with that. Why don't you give him a call? Let's set that up. I have no idea how, how it happened, man. Uh, I, I will say, I, it, in a lot of ways, I was fully... Uh, I can start this, I guess. It, I've been doing this 
for most of my life, but it wasn't until I was 18 or 19 that it occurred to me that I might be able to do this for a living. And I've never been someone that has some rigid five-year plan or if I haven't worked with so-and-so by this point, then what's the point? Uh, I, I, I just, I was totally, totally prepared and content with the idea that, you know, at some point in my career, I, I would love to work with the greats that I, you know, love and respect and uh, I, yeah I don't spend a lot of time thinking about everyone that I've worked with but when someone you know brings that up it is it it yeah it leaves me a little speechless and um well, it sets the bar higher for yourself too. It has to, it's like, wait, you've been spoiled on the likes of Charlie Kaufman and Spielberg a couple times, et cetera, PTA. It's like, well, you're not going to settle. Now, now's not the time to settle. The rest of the career has to live up to the, the kind of filmmakers you've worked with. And that's a tough bar to reach. Yeah. But I think there are a, a lot of exciting new filmmakers as well. Um, the Softie brothers, uh, they're, they're just getting started, I feel like. And yeah, the energy on, on screen long, that they, that's amazing. Yeah. There's, a, there's a long list. Of, yeah, but I, I have no idea how, how this happened. Well, we can add Charlie Kaufman to the list. He's obviously an exceptional talent, both as a director and a writer. Um, talk to me about reading a Charlie Kaufman script, because this one and watching this new film, you know, it strikes me like, I, I love the feeling of, both not knowing where a story is going, but also having the security to know that the writer, filmmaker, um, I trust in them enough to know that it's gonna go to interesting, satisfying places. And that's, that's what Charlie, time and time again, always delivers. Um, this must have read exceptionally odd and interesting <laughs> as, a, as a reader. I, I haven't yet come up with like a, an example or a metaphor of what it was like to read, but it's just, it just, feels like you're in the middle of the ocean just being yanked and tugged in every direction and uh i mean you have no idea where it's headed why any of this is relevant or important but you feel like everything is relevant and important um and by the end you're left in this place where you're feeling so strongly and intensely and have no idea why. <laughs> um, and that's really exciting to just be put in this state <laughs> like, a, like a magician or something. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I just remember talking to Brandy, my friend and agent and, uh, we read the script at the same time. We're just like, just like what, what just happened? Uh, the maggot, the, the maggot infested pig. What, what, what did I just read? But it just was like a, a shot of, a shot of art. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you generally a good judge of, of screenplays like do you trust your own instincts or do you trust brandy your agent your friends your family collaborators like what's what's your gut in reading a screenplay is it pretty accurate i trust myself 
I think, well, I mean, uh, every, every writer is, is different. Some, you know, pump are full of more exposition than others. Like Paul Thomas Anderson, there's hardly any exposition, which is, makes for a really interesting read because there's all this space for you to fill in. Yep. yep. I think, generally speaking, you can tell, I mean, you can tell what kind of writer they are by how they set the scene and how, how they, um, yeah, they paint, paint the setting and, and obviously the dialogue has to feel real, but um, if you read enough, it, 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 it becomes easy to tell when someone is reaching, trying to be witty and when someone has a, a real vision, you know? Yep. When you were, so when you were growing up, were you a, a cinephile? Like did, before you were even acting, were you obsessed with film or did that come in tandem with becoming obsessed with acting? I, I would say yes, but my knowledge of film was limited to this movie that we'll discuss. <laughs> <laughs> and random movies that, that my mom showed me just because she wanted to watch them, you know, and I was there, I feel like, uh, you know, remember, and there's nothing better than watching a movie that you feel like your parents even thought you shouldn't be watching. Oh, sure, yeah. I saw they, we were out in LA, uh, when I was maybe 12, 11, 12, and they had just re-released Apocalypse Now, um, you know, the extended edition. Right, the Redux. <laughs> and my mom just wanted to see it. And okay. Yeah. Uh, that is a moment I will never forget. <laughs> and, and there was always, yeah, there was always a really strong interest. I just, it wasn't until, until it was. 18, 19, that I really started to get a sense of what I liked and, and directors that I really responded to. So since you, it sounds like this, this selection today was an influential one uh, in your childhood, let's get right to it then. Okay, so I ask, as you know, on the podcast lately, I've been asking everybody for a comfort movie. And as I alluded to, uh, you bent the rules a little bit by finding our first television selection, a, <laughs> a four-part miniseries that I've always wanted to see. It's so revered. It's, a, it's considered a classic, but you screwed me over by uh, letting me know about it yesterday. So I had to cram just... <laughs> Tell us your comfort movie selection and why you chose it. Lonesome Dove. Um, it came out the year I was born, and in our household, my sister watched Annie, and I watched Lonesome Dove. And the time, you know, uh, there were no, you know, there were no child programs. Uh, it was pretty much just Lonesome Dove, and my. My dad's side of the family, they're all cowboys. They ride and rope and my cousin was a bronc rider. And, uh, and so I, I grew up in that, in that world. Um, and I think 
I, I guess it was my go-to film anytime I was sick because and I got to stay home. Because six hours later, you're probably going to feel a little bit better. So it's like a magic cure. Film, <laughs> and it was also a movie that, as I grew up, um, it was it was. It, it was my touchstone for for sort of acting and storytelling and and once I started to realize that I was really interested in acting um, I mean those performances were are such a such a huge part of my being and my my life that it it was amazing to to watch over and over again as I as like as I got older and you know learned what they meant when, when they're talking about wanting a poke you know <laughs> <laughs> the little things like that it's just like ah that makes sense yeah I get it now <laughs> no but I can imagine yeah I mean if you're starting to watch this as a kid you know I'm watching this uh in my 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 elderly years so it all makes sense to me but like yeah as you as you, especially as you gain experience too, and you keep coming back to it. Um, yeah, watching it as a 10 year old, a story about two aging Texas Rangers. <laughs> it's not really, it doesn't have the residence that maybe uh, you, you appreciate it on so, some levels. So, so what were you getting out of it? Was it just familiar to you because of the, the Western, the Texas milieu? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it just so happens that it's these aging, Texas Rangers that are like the best odd couple, <laughs> I feel like. Uh, and, and I mean, my mom tells stories of, of me, you know, the scene where they where they take the uh, take the men to Mexico to steal back the horses that they had stolen from them. And I guess I would I would I would ride on the side of the couch with like my toy gun in the cushions and. Spark <laughs> something, uh, uh, yeah. I get it. I mean, it, it, we should mention for context, for those that aren't as familiar, maybe you've heard of it, but you don't know exactly what we're talking about. This is, of course, based on Larry McMurtry's uh, best-selling no uh, novel. Um, came out in 1989, I believe, early 89. Um, and yes, the, the, it's an amazing ensemble, first of all. Like, I mean, down to like the smallest parts of like, wait, is that Steve Buscemi? Is that like Margot Martindale? Like all these like random people showing up in scene after scene but anchored by these towering performances from Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones um, as the aforementioned aging Texas Rangers. Um, it's, uh, I, I guess we should start with, with those two because they are, you know, you think of the Western and I think, I think of certain actors that just feel like they belong on a horse. They belong in that milieu. And those, those two guys just, they exist in that world. You buy it from the second you see them. Talk to me. I mean, and they're also both very naturalistic actors. They're both very just like you don't see the the machinery in the performances. What do you, what do you appreciate as you've again accumulated experience now that you look at these performances later on? What's so great about them? That very thing that you just said. You don't you don't see the acting occurring. You see you see the life, and you don't question anything for a second that's being said or, or done. And yeah, it is weird that I guess 
I responded to that at such a such a young age, and then realized why the older I got. Um, but that that authenticity and it's just like that's now the main objective in everything I do is is what I, I, I became obsessed with with them, which is just hopefully you know it's a non terrible way of putting this a uh, cheesy way of putting this just like just showing life that's that's what i respond to you know um, right and 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 that can and then that can even be transferred to different styles and heightened scenarios but still at a base level I mean, my dad, uh, he, he was a fireman for 30 something years. And what's weird is him and I have the exact same taste on actors. Um, even he, he can see it, you know, he can see when someone sure. is, is, is putting a little, a little extra on it. Or, or... No, I'm a sucker for these type of actors. I always say like my go-to, like my favorite actor of all time, if I had to choose one, I, I always say like Gene Hackman, who again was another actor. I could never see the acting. And uh, my biggest revelation in watching this um, beyond the Pavlovian response by the end of me, like getting near teary-eyed when the music would kick in, that's just the way it works every time. <laughs> but no, my big revelation, my sad revelation, Jesse, Tommy Lee Jones, when he shot this, is younger than I am now. No. <laughs> no. It's true. He was um he was like 42 like when he shot this. Um what? 43? I'm I'm 44. I'm 44. But um Jeez. talk about well, talk about a guy that like had like a I don't know, accumulated mileage in in his bones. He conveyed a, a life even at 42 or 43. I did not know that. So you worked with Tommy Lee and you were directed by him in a Western, as it were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That must have been a, a moment, a, a series of moments. It was definitely that. There was a moment where we were, we were rehearsing a scene, um, a scene with John Lithgow and um, a few other actors. And it was on a Saturday and we were at this church they were talking about how he was going to film the scene, if he wanted, I think if he wanted this wall to be like a breakaway wall or something. And he was like, well, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Which is a quote from Lonesome Dove and everyone just slowly sort of looked around. At the... yes. Amazing. Um, yeah, he, he's, it was, Quite an experience, and um, I appreciate the, the no nonsense approach and his, his direct approach. Um, he, yeah. You strike me as a guy because yeah, I, I, I talk about Tommy Lee. We actually, one of the recent comfort, comfort movies that came up was The Fugitive, for instance. And he's um, he's a guy that like notoriously doesn't suffer fools and is is pretty direct, as you say. Um, but you also strike me as somebody, just looking at your body of work, you clearly don't intimidate easy. I mean, you know, even looking at last year, the last couple of years, working, you know, in The Irishman, being in a car with 
<laughs> with uh, Al and, and De Niro and directed by Scorsese is, can you just switch off that part of your brain that is losing it when you're working with icons like that? Well, first of all, I think the only acting I did in that film was acting like I wasn't nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I, I succeeded and that was kind of all I cared about. Um, I, I don't know. It's so, com I, I confuse myself because sometimes it's just like dependent on your mood and where you're at. Sometimes I'm able to act like a normal human being and sometimes I'm not, you know, uh, but yeah, luckily, luckily I'm, I'm meeting, you know, these heroes, these legends, uh, with, with also something to do and focus on. So right. you can, you, you can sort of put that aside and focus on the, on the work. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, I mentioned um, The Homesman, which is the film that I was referring to. You were directed by Tommy Lee Jones in that one. Um, you've done a couple Westerns. Like, I mean, one of your very first films was directed by Billy Bob Thornton, All the Pretty Horses. Uh, I think of Hostiles. You've you worked with Scott Cooper a few times. Um, does the Western remain a genre, generally speaking, that you gravitate to as a, as a viewer? Yes. Like what's on your rap Mount Rushmore of Westerns beyond Lonesome Dove? I'm just curious. Are there others that Jesse James is a movie that I enjoy. Amazing. Uh, it's so beautiful. And the performances are so amazing. That director is incredible. Uh, Nick Cave score is unbelievable. Um, and um, yeah, there's, there's a, a long list there. But out of out of the modern westerns, that one that one's at the top. Um, it, it is generally speaking. It's funny because like I think of the western, not to generalize, but the western and like the war movie are something that a lot of fathers and sons kind of like pass to the next generation. Like my dad definitely passed on to me. I remember early films that made an impact, like The Magnificent Seven and High Noon. And it feels like there is something that, you know, they, they often tackle notions of masculinity, unforgiven. Um, they, they, I mean, this, this film, Lonesome Dove, deals with like a real intimate male relationship um, that is really beautiful. And that's arguably the romance of the film is these two men. Yeah, they're, they're an old married couple. They can't escape each other except for death, you know? <laughs> and they can't. God damn it. All right, I'll take you back to Texas. <laughs> you know, there's another 45 minutes after, spoiler alert, after Duval dies. I'm just dragging that body around with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, It's done well. There, there's, uh, I mean, it's not just sort of antiquated uh, masculinity for masculinity's sake. Sure. There's, there's a, something really powerful about it when you're, when you're and that's I think I keep going back to Larry McMurtry that's I think why that movie or that that novel to begin with is is so powerful because he grew up in that world but he was not of that world he just, right he was the scrawny nerdy kid that 
desperately wanted to be a cowboy, but also saw that culture for, for what it is. There's a, a great book of essays uh, called In a Narrow Grave, Essays on Texas. And he, this is written in the late 60s, but he explores that very, that very idea of, you know, masculinity and sort of, he also wrote, uh, well, it wasn't called HUD, I think it was called Horseman Passed By. Um, but but this, this new reality of, of, of the, the modern cowboy being made obsolete and, and being pulled from, uh, from these rural areas into these, you know, big cities and trading in their, you know, horses for Cadillacs as, as happened to HUD in that movie. But it's just so, I do find that interesting because that's, that's what I grew up with too, you know. Have you, have you watched this one with Kirsten? Do you expose each other to movies that mean a lot to you? I think it really, it really bored. Uh, oh no. Kirsten, <laughs> I think I just gotta, I, I, I've gotta uh, approach it again. She's in a different headspace. There, there's nothing more disheartening than that. Is there, I, I know when I show something meaningful, I forget, I, I, this is a totally different kind of a thing. Like I've tried to like show like, the American president, which I think is just like a, a perfect kind of like romantic drama comedy to my wife a few times. And it's even her genre. She likes that kind of thing. Yeah. Gives up every time. Doesn't work. I know. Are you a fan of Ken Burns? Of course. Like, yeah. Yeah. Same. It's just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what about vice versa? Is there something she's tried to expose you to that you have resisted? I mean, she, Totally honest. Her new obsession is below deck, and uh, <laughs> I have to say, I'm kind of entertained by it. I've watched my fair share of Bravo. We haven't gone there yet, but there's something to be Southern charm. I can get behind. All good. <laughs> you know, we're talking about comfort, comfort movies, comfort TV. Um, you've been in some things that really would fit the bill for many people. I mean, Friday Night Lights is a comfort movie, a comfort TV show rather, for so, so many. Um, how do you receive that love, that obsession at this point in your career with some distance to it? Because it still feels present to some people because they're, they just binge watched it for the first time. It feels, and, and, they, and because of the nature of television, they feel really connected to those characters, sometimes even more so than a film. Is that an adjustment? Is that odd for you to kind of still receive that kind of intensity? Have you always been good with kind of managing that? No, I don't think I've always <laughs> been good at managing that. Um, I think I've, I've learned to, to deal with compliments and, and, and that you know, excitement and all that a little bit better as I've gotten older. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, in, in one way, I don't, it was such a huge part of my life and kind of the foundation for, for you know, my, my career in, in a lot of ways. It was, it felt like, 
the best class I've ever taken because we were just given an enormous amount of freedom uh, to to take the characters and, and really make them our own. And, and it was, it, it just felt, it felt like my, my college years in a lot of ways. And um, was that because of the, because I, I, I've talked to like, Kitch on the podcast and Adrian's been on and and my sense is it was because of the way Pete shot that show and gave so much freedom and you know the camera was everywhere and it was just sort of like theater as much as it was film it just it wasn't the standard television project I mean I, I for Anna it was a network television show and somehow I think I think it was the perfect the perfect storm of, of scenarios. NBC really didn't get the show, didn't get why people liked the show. <laughs> it was on after American Idol, whenever that was at the height of its popularity. We were filming in Austin, so we were just like the little show that they're like, I don't we're doing. <laughs> why do people watch this show? Um, we always thought we were going to be canceled at the end of our, our order. Um, so, it it made for a kind of I don't know sort of summer camp type feeling where it was just it just felt like, like play. Yeah, know? they're letting you get away with something here. Beyond. <laughs> yeah, and then it kept going and kept going, and eventually we were canceled. But... <laughs> and then for the next ten years, people demanded a a movie or a reunion or something, and that will never die. Um, a couple other things I do want to mention just in the career that just always strike me. You mentioned uh, PTA and, and your performance in the master is exceptional and you're working with the best. I mean, no, no actor is discussed more on this podcast than Philip Seymour Hoffman. And with, for good reason, he's uh, he could do anything. He could literally do anything. Um, I guess from, again, from an actor's perspective of seeing it up close, can you define for me what was so special about Phil on a set on what he brought? Was it, was it, I know he was, a serious actor, he took the work very seriously. Was it just leaving no stone unturned? What was it? Hmm. I don't really know. I can only sort of guess based on what I saw. Um, and I mean, that, that was still today one of, one of the most amazing experiences just watching those three or four you know including amy adams was also unbelievable in that part sure but he you know he had his days where it was obvious that the do not disturb sign was on and he was focused and he's about to do some shit <laughs> get it down to the work today yeah yeah <laughs> days where uh you just tell he was, he was a little more open to engage um, why he was able to do what he did. I don't know. I think his his just capacity to to feel maybe um, and his his depth and and also his very very smart but I think there was, there was a, a lot there that he had to, to to draw from and 
it was it was interesting to see how different uh, Hoffman and, and Joaquin Phoenix approached approached the scene, um, but there there was never a moment where you, where you felt like something that one of them did stumped the other one. It's this constant. Uh, this constant forge of, of just experimenting. And I think at that point, Hoffman had been working with Paul on the character for a year or two. And so he was pretty dialed in. And then Joaquin was uh, just like a, 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 loose, a loose animal on set. Um, yeah. Both, both must have been yeah, so inspiring to watch. Yeah, I think I think of Phil's. If you just looked at Phil's performances in Paul's films, just alone, the diversity. I mean, I, I think of like like Boogie Nights, his small role, but amazing role in Punch Drunk Love. <laughs> like, I mean, he just he just draws you in in a different way in, in every performance. Um, I, I've resisted the urge in this conversation to not do a deep dive into Gary on Game Night with you, Why? Jesse, because I am obsessed. I am obsessed with Gary. I'm obsessed with that performance, that character, that film. Um, Someone called it misguided once, and that's all I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody I've uh, I've uh, <laughs> I've used like the the gif of Gary like receding into darkness on my Twitter account so many times. I, I can't even tell you um, how much of that was on the page. How delightful was it to play Gary? Uh, tell me everything. Tell me anything. Well. I, I was doing Black Mirror whenever I received that script with Billy Magnuson. Um, and, um, and it was late after work and, and I knew I had to read the script and started it and got to the end of Gary's first scene and closed the script and called my agent and said, yes. Uh, um, play Gary and then eventually <laughs> read the rest of the script like oh wow did not expect that but in that version of the script that I read I'm pretty sure I'm pretty positive it described Gary as being Michael Shannon-esque so to me it was just the, the yeah, I, I was excited to play around in that in that world. And there was a, a I don't think he's, maybe he listens to this podcast, I don't know, but a, a landlord of mine that, that really reminded me of Gary. <laughs> so a little bit of the landlord, a little bit of Michael Shannon? Yeah. And just that, yeah, that he, there's not a, a, a moment where he feels awkward, which is just, and everyone else does. That's so much fun to play. That is a great way of putting it, Jesse, for this reason, because so like, I'm obsessed with Michael Shannon, by the way. He's literally my spirit animal. Like I, I, he, he's just right. the best. And I often describe, and I, I get along well with him, and I think for a particular reason, in that he um, loves the awkwardness and loves to make other people feel like, you know, I mean, you've been to the press junkets. I know you probably hate them as much as I do. They're horrible. But like, you know, 
he doesn't do the pleasantries to make somebody feel comfortable in the room. <laughs> He's just like, no, we're just going to sit in awkwardness. <laughs> You're going to deal with it. <laughs> so you definitely got at what I love about Michael Shannon and what I love about um, that. I mean, that performance is just amazing. So congratulations yet again on that. Let's see more Gary. Um, wrapping up, I know you have a bunch of things coming up. You've got, uh, you collaborated with Scott Cooper, Antlers, which seems like a change of pace for him. I'm curious yeah. about that one. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah looks amazing. That trailer looks... It was, yeah. How about Daniel Kalua? Oh my God, talk about a guy that's just showing up in a different way every single time and just mesmerizing. What's crazy is at the script read, um, which I don't love script reads. Anyway, like you never know. It's like, are we doing this or are we just... Right, yeah. Do you go for it or are we just kind of like reading the words? Yeah. And as the keep was to my left and I think Daniel was next to him and we got to his first scene and it seems like about 80% of it was there uh, a month or so before we started shooting. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so then are you like, oh God, I've got to, today's an acting day. Today's not the day just to read the words. <laughs> Yeah, he was so good and powerful in this script read. Uh, and yeah, the Keith was, uh, most of my scenes were with the Keith. He's oh, nice. So work with. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about, about that one. Only in theaters. Some <laughs> Yeah. hopefully we get get back into theater safely relatively soon um whatever you're doing whether it is a secret list that you're running through the names of calling on your secret bat phone to the directors or whether they're just calling you up keep doing what you're doing because the the the, the material you're putting out there is just exceptional time and time again and i just love, i've always been a fan of your work and i'm i'm sorry that this conversation happened in this way hopefully we'll have you at to the office in new york at some time soon when life goes back to normal um but thanks, thanks as always for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Stay safe out there and I'll run into you one of these days. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>